0: Good evening. You are tuned to KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. My name is Claudio Mendoza. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for KVMR's Evening News. Tonight, after NPR headlines and the California report, we bring you regional weather followed by the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce report with Felton Pruitt and Gretchen Bond. Then, We'll air Hospitality House's needs for the week, followed by tonight's Bravehearts, part two of an interview with Grass Valley Police Chief Alex Gamelgard. We'll close with a reading by Molly Fisk. For their support of Community Radio, we thank Mama Madrone's Eco Emporium on Broad Street, Nevada City, and online, offering jewelry, organic bedding, body care, and more. Online store and information, mamamadrones.com. Here are tonight's NPR headlines.
1: Live from NPR News, I'm Janine Herbst. The acting Capitol Police Chief Yogananda Pintman told a House committee today her agency requested military aid six times in the first hour of the insurrection. NPR's Claudia Grisales reports lawmakers are zeroing in on why it took so long for the National Guard to arrive.
2: The acting chief said her agency head called top security officials a half dozen times for military aid to help fend off the rioters. There's evidence that some of those who stormed the Capitol were organized. But there's also evidence that a large number were everyday Americans who took on a mob mentality because they were angry and desperate. Yogananda Pittman said former Chief Stephen Sun's phone records show he started by calling then House Security Chief Paul Irving before 1 p.m. Irving did not request the guard until an hour later and told lawmakers he did not get Sun's early call. The guard did not arrive until hours later. Claudia Grisalis, NPR News, Washington.
1: The House today passed the Equality Act, prohibiting discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. The measure has been in the making for decades and was passed by the House in 2019, but blocked by the Republican Senate. But even though Democrats control the Senate this time, it will still be an uphill trek. The legislation would protect LGBTQ people in employment, housing, education, credit, and other areas. EU leaders are holding a two-day meeting in Brussels focused on their response to the coronavirus. Terry Schultz reports the bloc is lagging far behind the U.S. and U.K. in getting people vaccinated. EU leaders are under fire because only about 5% of people in the bloc have received even one jab. The U.S. has vaccinated four times more than that, the U.K. six times more. EU officials in turn are pressing vaccine producers who have not been able to fulfill pre-orders. At the same time, some countries acknowledge having supplies they have not yet distributed. Terry Schultz reporting. A former U.S. Olympic gymnastics coach has died of an apparent suicide after being charged with two dozen crimes, including human trafficking and sexual assault. Michelle Jokish-Polo from member station WKAR has more.
3: Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel announced 24 charges against John Geddert, the majority of which were for human trafficking. Getard is the former owner of Twistars, a Lansing area gym. He was accused of physically, emotionally, and in some cases, sexually abusing young athletes. Getard was scheduled to be arraigned for the charges Thursday afternoon, but never appeared. The Attorney General's office confirmed that Geddard was found dead by suicide. Police first launched an investigation into Geddard shortly after the Larry Nasser sex abuse scandal. He worked closely with Nasser
1: for years. I'm Michelle Giacaschpolo. This is NPR News. A final read on the U.S. economy shows it grew 4.1 percent in the final quarter of last year, slightly faster than first estimated. But that better read on the last part of 2020 doesn't change the fact that for the year as a whole, the gross domestic product shrank 3.5 percent. Costco plans to raise its starting wage to $16 an hour starting next week. That propels the warehouse store ahead of most of its retail competitors. Empire's Alina Seljuk has more.
2: Costco was one of a growing number of large retailers to first set a minimum wage of $15 an hour back in 2019. Now, in an appearance before the Senate Budget Committee, CEO Craig Jelinek says Costco will raise the starting pay to $16 an hour. Jelinek says higher pay means workers stay with the company longer, gain more expertise, become more productive.
4: This isn't altruism. At Costco, we know that paying employees good wages and providing affordable benefits... Makes sense for our business, and constitute significant competitive advantage for us.
2: Costco employs about 180,000 people in the U.S., and Jelinek says more than half already make above $25 an hour. Alina Selyuk, NPR News.
1: Mr. Potato Hood is a Mr. No More. Hasbro, the maker of the plastic toy, has given it a gender-neutral name. Potato Head. Hasbro says the toy, which has been around for 70 years, needed a modern makeover. The company has been updating its classic brands to appeal to a new generation. Wall Street Lower by the closing bell. I'm Janine Herbst and you're listening to NPR News.
4: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Health provider Kaiser Permanente has mountains of health data on millions of Californians. And Kaiser is now using that info to help figure out who's at higher risk of getting COVID-19 and should get vaccinations first. KQED's Polly Stryker has more.
2: Most healthcare providers use certain data to look at health equity, like education, earnings, unemployment, how many people live in a home. Healthcare giant Kaiser Permanente is now cross-referencing data like that with its vast electronic medical record system to see who's at highest risk of exposure to COVID and complications if they get sick.
0: This is a really important piece to
5: targeting where do we go after with the vaccine.
2: That's Dr. Stephen Perotti, Associate Executive Director with Kaiser. As with the general population, Kaiser's Latino, Black, and Asian patients have higher levels of coronavirus infection than white patients. Parodi says Kaiser can pinpoint who are the most vulnerable people within those populations and prioritize them for vaccination. People like the elderly HIV patients he treats in Vallejo.
6: Many of them, actually, their biggest problem is not HIV. They have high blood pressure, they have diabetes, all the typical old person type
7: stuff. Uh, that you might see.
2: Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UCSF, applauds this health equity work, but he says people will still fall through the cracks.
4: The people who are not in Kaiser, the uninsured, the agricultural workers, the undocumented.
2: Chin Hong says when it comes to health equity, there's a lot more work to do. For the California Report, I'm Polly Stryker.
4: As we've suffered through this pandemic, we've turned to California's public health officials to help keep us safe. But many of those officials have also been targets, threatened by people who don't like wearing masks or think the pandemic is a hoax. A panel of top doctors expressed their concerns about the threats facing public health professionals yesterday. KQD's Laura Clivens has more.
1: Harassment of you or your family protests at your home. Backlash against public health protections and a lack of support from state or local elected officials. These are the common themes public health workers are reporting having faced this past year. And experts say women and minorities are targeted to a greater extent. Santa Clara County Health Officer Dr. Sarah Cody is familiar with the challenge.
8: I'm still experiencing rather regular harassment. I've actually had a 24-7 protective detail for almost a year because of concerns about my safety and the safety of my family. Experts suggest
1: creating a harassment monitoring system, using existing laws to protect public health workers or creating new ones, and supporting investment in public health infrastructure. For the California Report, I'm Laura Clivens. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at WaterHeatersOnly.com. California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care on the web at chcf.org voices. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere.
4: Now to news of a new lawsuit filed by a trust for survivors of wildfires started by Pacific Gas and Electric Equipment. That trust, set up in the company's most recent bankruptcy, is suing almost two dozen former executives and board members of PG&E. The California Report's Lily Jamali has been following this closely and joins us now with more. Good morning, Lily. So what's the focus of this lawsuit?
3: Well, so the lawsuit targets these former executives and directors at PG&E saying they breached their fiduciary duties to the company. Put simply, the claim is that they didn't do their jobs. And it claims that breach of responsibility is what resulted in the deadly and catastrophic fires sparked by PG&E's equipment in 2017 and 2018. Here's attorney Frank Petrie, who is lodging this suit on behalf of the trust.
9: Thus far, PG&E has been a faceless villain. But this is a lawsuit that seeks to pull back the curtain and to identify those decision makers who established policies and procedures that failed.
3: Specifically, he says pg and executives and directors should have pushed to de-energize power lines when fire danger was high so their equipment didn't spark fires. And he says they should have invested in maintenance of pg and system, parts of which are now a century old.
4: And Lily, let's talk about specific people. Who are some of the PG&E executives targeted in the suit?
3: Yes, this list of almost two dozen names includes two former CEOs, Anthony Early and Geisha Williams. Williams was CEO when the company's equipment sparked the 2018 Camp Fire, which destroyed the town of Paradise. She stepped down just as the company was filing for bankruptcy as those wildfire liabilities mounted. Chief Financial Officer Jason Wells, who recently departed PG&E, is also named, as is the former chairman of the board, Richard Kelly, who left a few months into the company's most recent bankruptcy.
4: And I understand tomorrow is an especially important day for wildfire survivors. Why is that?
3: Yeah, that's right. All of pg 80,000 fire victims have until tomorrow to submit final paperwork to the trust to get paid. It, this is a huge project, and the trust, which is filing the lawsuit we were just talking about, they are preparing to start paying people as well. The problem is that half of their money is locked up in PG&E stock right now. It might surprise a lot of listeners to know that fire victims in the form of this trust own 24% of pg stock they have to sell that to get cash for victims and it is an unusual setup even by bankruptcy standards I had a pretty lively exchange with that same attorney Frank Petrie who helped broker this setup for fire victims and I asked him if he had any regrets agreeing to take stock which has not performed well here's what he told me
9: I am optimistic that the shares of stock will be marketed so that fire victims get fully compensated.
3: Saul, that is simply not in line with what I'm hearing from fire survivors that I speak with. A deal that was marketed to them as being worth $13.5 billion is a billion dollars short of that target. By and large, fire survivors I'm speaking with don't share in the optimism that they will get fully paid, but time will tell.
4: Well, such an important story to so many wildfire survivors here in California. That's the California Report's Lily Jamali. Lily, thanks so much. Thanks, Saul. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, February 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez
0: in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening. And taking a look at local weather, in Nevada City, Grass Valley, tonight, clear with a low around 36. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 57. In the Truckee and Lake Tahoe region, Tonight, mostly clear, with a low around 18. Friday will be sunny, with a high near 48. And in Sacramento, tonight also clear, with a low around 39. Tomorrow will be sunny, with a high near 68. Next up, Felton Pruitt speaks with Gretchen Bond in this week's Nevada City Chamber of Commerce report. We're talking with Gretchen Bond. She's the president of the board of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce, and we get together with you every once in a while to find out what's happening in our fine city. What is going on?
5: Well, thanks, Felton. I always appreciate being on KVMR. It's a joy. We're working on a number of different things. One thing that we're working on is um, we're completing a plan to present to City Council on March 10th for our month-long cleanup that's going to take place in April of the downtown and Seven Hills District. So that's in the works right now. The cleanup has been a regular thing, but it's been a day. And what we're looking at doing is a month-long cleanup so that we can spread it out so people you know, because if you couldn't volunteer on this specific day before, you weren't able to help. It gives us an opportunity to spread out the work. It gives public works an opportunity to schedule their people because it's not just the chamber doesn't just do this by themselves. It's, we do this in partnership with the city. So a month-long cleanup sounds like a really good idea. I think that when you do it in one day, it's great. But, you know, there's a lot of things that we're not able to tackle in, in a very short period of time.
0: What else is going on?
5: So we're continuing to work on the commercial street improvements in regards to outdoor dining. had a conversation with Mayor Minette. The outdoor dining ordinance was supposed to expire on March 31st, but the city is going to continue it through the summer, which is excellent news. So folks that are having to do outdoor dining will be able to rest assured that they can continue to do that through summer, which is great. And other things that we're doing, this this is something that's, you know, uh, pandemic-related, new. We're preparing um, for changes in tourism in the coming months because, according to Visit California, people are going to be traveling this summer. A lot of people are going to be traveling this summer. And most of what the trends that they're seeing is that most people are going to be traveling anywhere from three to six hours from their home, and they're going to be in their cars or their RVs. And so we're expecting a lot of day trippers and a lot of one night stays. So we'll, we'll be expecting, I would imagine the fairgrounds campground will be full and our other campgrounds, the in-town campground and others will, will definitely be full. So we're looking at uh, creating more information coming from the chamber about outdoor activities and activities that are family friendly. And we're already seeing that. I mean, in the chamber office, the people that are coming in that are visiting from out of town are from Lincoln and Rockland and the Bay Area. And often they're, they're just here for the day or they're staying just one night.
0: Do you have any information on the National Hotel and its progress?
5: Actually, I'm going to tour it tomorrow. I don't have an update on when it's going to open, but I could have that for my next report. Very good. For you. I'm
0: sure a lot yeah. of people would be interested in that.
5: Yeah, we, we definitely are. And I'm sure a lot of people are.
0: <laughs> Anything else you want folks to know about Nevada City for the next week?
5: Just um, we've got our restaurants are open for outdoor dining. You know, like everybody else, we're all looking forward to uh, our numbers are really down in the county. And so we're hoping that in the next two to three weeks, we might be able to move into the red tier that would mean that there could be 25% capacity for indoor dining, and it changes some things with health clubs and and that. So, I think that you know the county's been doing a great job. We've, we're really seeing a significant decrease in the numbers, which has been great. Everyone should keep up the good work, and uh, it would be wonderful if we could partially move back inside and in, for some of our businesses.
0: We've been talking with Gretchen Bond. She's the president of the board of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce. We thank you for your time.
5: Thanks so much, Felton. It's always a delight to talk to you.
0: Here are Hospitality House's Needs for the Week, followed by this week's Bravehearts.
7: Hi, I'm Christina Carrion, Marketing and Development Specialist at Hospitality House, and the needs of the shelter for this week are PPE masks and gloves. Please keep donating these new pillows, twin size blankets, bottled water, hand warmers, Alka-Seltzer, travel bags and backpacks, headphones and earbuds, brushes, combs and hair ties, toilet paper, paper towels, men and women's winter gloves, men's jeans sizes 30 to 36, eight ounce paper coffee cups, please no lids or styrofoam or plastic cups, Women's underwear sizes small, medium, and large. Men and women's sweatpants sizes medium, large, extra large, and 2XL. Ensure and boost drinks for a guest undergoing chemo and radiation treatment. Plastic shower curtains and attachment rings for the outreach dorm's bathroom shower. Please drop off urgent items or mail them to Utah's place located in Brunswick Basin. Past the DMV at 1262 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. For a tax receipt, please ring the doorbell and wait for someone to come outside to assist you. We greatly appreciate the community's help at such times of uncertainty. In the words of you to Phillips, if we all stick together, we'll all get what we need. Thank you.
9: Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts,
8: where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis.
9: We are your hosts, William Wallace
8: and Betty Louise,
9: and these are the Bravehearts. Welcome to the show. My name is William Wallace and I'm here with my co-producer, Betty Louise, and today we have the opportunity to sit with Chief Alex Gammelgard, the Chief of the Grass Valley Police Department. Welcome, Chief. Thanks for having me. When you get the opportunity to interact and talk with these people that are affected by homelessness, what are you hearing from them that are their biggest challenges? I think
6: some of the biggest challenges start off with trust. Uh, just trust of other human beings, trust of the, their situation, in our case trust of the system or law enforcement. I mean that's the biggest challenge. There's underlying root causes for sure that they start talking about but they're
9: not going to tell you about those right off the bat
6: and and I understand why.
9: That that trust is a big issue. You know that once you find that you have gained their trust, they have a tendency to open up more and share their stories and what their needs can be. So that's, mm-hmm. that's huge when you're able to make that step. On another topic, illegal camping can be a challenging situation for both officers mm-hmm. and the homeless. What does a solution to that look like to you? You know, I think it's multifaceted. It's a
6: community approach. The issue with illegal camping here is multifaceted. First and foremost, from a public safety standpoint for us, is the fire danger. And a close second would be the environmental impact from a community standpoint. From an individual standpoint and the people we're trying to reach, it's just not healthy. It has a lot of risks that go with it, inherent risks uh, related to the environment and climate. And then on top of that, just the dangers that we see from not having a secure home and the theft and the violence and... uh, negative influences especially among some of our younger folks so those are some of the challenges
9: definitely real yeah what do you want people to know about people that are affected by the homeless situation
6: i want people to know that first and foremost we're never going to make an impact on this if we don't like i said earlier look at each other from a humanistic honoring the humanity of all of us in that conversation The other thing though that I think is important is that we're not unique in Grass Valley, oftentimes because our conversation circles are here, whether it's on social media or with our friends, it's easy for us to say oh this place isn't what it used to be, this homeless problem is out of control. I invite people to look for it outside of your community and I don't think you're gonna have to look very hard to find it. Although this isn't any comfort because we know it's still visible and it's there and it's happening here. We're actually not doing too bad. Where I think we have a long ways to go is just in our community safety as it relates to our homelessness. And I lose sleep during the summer about the fire danger with it. We have to get that under control. We have to make that the top priority because if we're talking about the humanity of individuals, we can't discount the humanity of every single person who chooses to live here and is blessed to have a home and doesn't fall into the homeless category. We cannot afford for maybe our desire to be compassionate, to overshadow the need for us to protect our overall community. One fire could wipe us out and that's why I look at when we have to take an enforcement posture related to some of the, the work that and the role that law enforcement plays, I look at that as compassionate. It's compassionate to people who live here and it's compassionate to the individual that could have to live with the additional trauma of um, hurting themselves.
8: Is there anything else that you want the community to know, <laughs> what it's like to be a law enforcement
6: Working, yes. Not only people. Like, what is that like? Uh, right now, it's not easy. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that other than police officers are people, too. And although people say that and it's on social media and it's always a counterpoint to whatever bad thing they saw in the media about law enforcement, I wish we. Could have that conversation not when we're trying to counterpoint some other evil thing that's happened so our police officers at grass valley have families they go home to their husbands their wives they have parents and kids and they have a life far beyond law enforcement and they're doing their work in law enforcement not because uh, it's just a job there's nobody that i know that would be doing this job if they didn't have a deeper calling and really wanted to make a difference because Otherwise, why would you put yourself in that situation? Just doesn't make sense, right? And so if we can come from that perspective and look at the humanity of the police officers that are serving other individuals in our communities, then I think we can move forward together. But if it's an us versus them mentality, um, we've already lost.
9: Thank you for sharing that. Uh, You definitely are sharing from the heart. And I really appreciate the fact that you've decided to stay here and continue to Use your passion in our community, and I hope that people out there that are listening to this tonight share it as well in theirs. So thank you very much.
6: Yeah, I appreciate it, thank you. And we're, we're here, um, my office, my my phone is always available to hear from people about ideas. It takes, takes a village, so to speak, and I would invite people's comments and desire to help fix this problem with us, because it's not law enforcement's job by itself to do it. And we recognize that we need the help of the community.
9: Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind.
8: This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit C-A-L-H-U-M
0: And now, some readings by Molly Fisk.
4: Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet
8: In honor of Black History Month, I'm going to read you some poems by two well-known black poets. One is Lucille Clifton, born in 1936, died in 2010 whom I worked with several times at the Community of Writers Summer Conference up in the Sierra. She was one of those people who can be deadly serious and really funny at the same time. Being around her made me feel that my work mattered and also made me aware of how much I didn't know about basically everything. Both valuable insights. The other is Terrence Hayes, born in 1971, whose latest book is called American Sonnet for My Past and Future Assassin. Every poem in the book shares that title, with a parenthetical note containing each first line. You can look these poets up online to find out more about them, and look up James Baldwin and Audre Lorde, too, if their names are new to you. Also, what happened in Jasper, Texas. American Sonnet for My Past and Future Assassin, Seven of the Ten Things Seven of the Ten Things I Love in the Face of James Baldwin concern the spiritual elasticity of his expressions. The sachet between left and right eyebrow, for example. The crease between his eyes, like a tuning fork or furrow, like a riverbed branching into tributaries, like lines of rapturous sentences searching for a period. The dimple in his chin narrows and expands like a pupil. Most of all, I love all of his eyes and those wrinkles, the feel and color of wet driftwood in the mud, around those eyes. Mud is made of simple rain and earth, the same baptismal spills and hills of dirt James Baldwin is made of. Won't you celebrate with me? Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model, born in Babylon, Both non-white and woman, what did I see to be except myself? I made it up, here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. American sonnet for my past and future assassin, even the most kind-hearted white woman. Even the most kind-hearted white woman, dragging herself through traffic with her nails on the wheel and her head in a chamber of black, modern American music, may begin, almost carelessly, to breathe N-words. Yes, even the most bespectacled hallucination, cruising the lanes of America, may find her tongue curls inward, entangling her windpipe, her vents, toes and pedals when she drives alone. Even the most made-up layers of persona in a two- or four-door vehicle, sealed in a fountain of bass and black boys chanting N-words, may begin to chant inwardly, softly, before she can catch herself. Of course, after that, what is inward is absorbed. My Dream About Being White Hey, music and me, only white— hair a flutter of fall leaves, circling my perfect line of a nose, no lips, no behind. Hey, white me, and I'm wearing white history, but there's no future in those clothes. So I take them off and wake up dancing.
0: That's our newscast. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday from 6 to 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear it again, you can do so on our webpage, kvmr.org. While you're there, check out the commentary guidelines under the News tab and consider submitting your thoughts. Stay tuned. The Climate Report with Martin Webb is next. Followed at 7 p.m. by Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting Independent Community Radio. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a good evening.